Good evening, everyone. I invite you to open your Bible to First Peter. Thank you, Jerry. First Peter, chapter number five. Thank you for coming tonight. I'm so glad that you're here. I know attendance is down because of the uh, COVID um, uh, numbers and the spike and the governor's order and all of those things. And uh, your being here tonight is an encouragement to me. I understand why others aren't, and I'm trusting that we'll have a larger online presence uh, on Sunday. But uh, these are just the days that we live in, aren't they? And so we need to pray for one another, not be afraid, but trust in God. On, uh, I just, uh, on Tuesday evening, I've uh, sent out an email. Maybe you got it. I uh, hope that you did. And a little video with it. I'm going to have a members meeting to talk about just a sort of a family discussion about where we're at, what's going on, and what we're going to be doing in the month of December. And, uh, and uh, then... Uh, what adjustments or time schedule might change in, uh, in light of all that's going on. So let's pray. Would you pray for me that God give me wisdom in our, our, our church during these days? Don't we need God's wisdom? And we need, we need His guidance and His leadership in our life. Amen. The whole church, we need it, don't we? We sure do. I love you all dearly. Thank God for you. You mean the world to me. And uh, just an update, um, my mother-in-law is uh, still in the hospital. She uh, still is day to day, and uh, we're just praying for her. And doctors said they've done all that they can do. They've done, given her everything they know to give her. And now we're just trusting God and praying. And I'm just asking for God to bring healing to her. Amen. rest of my family is doing great. I'm so grateful, but anyway, uh, if you might pray for my mother-in-law. Her name's Ruth. It's Christy's mom, and so um, lift, she's been in the hospital over two weeks now. All right, 1 Peter chapter number 5. Let's begin with verse number 1. 1 Peter, have, do you have your Bible? Hope that you do, so get your Bible, open it, follow along. 1 Peter chapter number 5, turn it on and located 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse number 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren 
who are in the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who's in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. So does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that you speak to us through your word. I pray that, Father, that we would listen to your Holy Spirit, to you. And, Father, as your Holy Spirit moves among us, speaks to us, enlightens the word, Lord, help us to apply the truth to our daily living. Convict us, confront us, comfort us. We need you, Lord. We need you. We're dependent upon you. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite new, uh, North American uh, American authors is a woman uh, named Flannery O'Connor. And she wrote some wonderful short stories, most of them based in the South, often with a religious theme. Flannery O'Connor, in one of her short stories, tells a story about a young man, a young bo- uh, boy who, he's a high school student, and comes to trust in Jesus Christ and becomes a follower of Jesus. He goes to school and he takes his Bible with him. He's reading the Bible. He becomes ridiculed by a friend. And he said, what are you reading? What book is that you're reading? He said, I'm reading the Holy Bible. He said, why are you reading that book? He said, because I believe it. He said, no, you don't. You don't believe it. He said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't believe that book. You don't believe in anything. He said, yes, I do. He said, you don't believe that book at all. And he said, I do too believe this book. Every word of it's true. He said, no, it's not. To prove it, he reaches down and he tears out one of the pages in the Bible that's in his lap. He wads it up and he puts it inside of his mouth and he begins to eat it. As he's chewing on it, He reaches down. He says, what are you doing? Stop doing that. And he tears out another portion, a page of that book, and he wraps it up and puts it in his mouth and begins to chew on it and swallows it. And he said, the word of God is true because Ezekiel said, I ate the word and it was sweet as honey in my mouth and this tastes like honey to me. Peter must have been thinking about Ezekiel because in some regards, this passage of Scripture sounds like Ezekiel. He says in chapter number 4, verse number 17, it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. In the ninth chapter of Ezekiel, 
Whenever the judgment of God is poured out on the nation of Israel, he begins with the temple. And he begins with the household of worship. And he begins with the elders that were in charge of leading the people spiritually. He said that's where God's judgment begins. Because you've not cared for God's children, you've not taught them rightly, and you have neglected your responsibility. That's what Ezekiel says. So he says in verse 17 of chapter 4, it's time for judgment to begin where? Starting with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? He moves from that thought to chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. You see the thought? That's the same thought that's found in Ezekiel 9. He says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder, witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker also of the glory to be revealed. In this chapter of Scripture we're going to look at tonight, there are three essential attitudes that are central to the letter that Peter has just written to us. And he's reminding us, rehearsing again with us, these essential attitudes for success of God's people in a world of conflict and suffering and hardship. The first attitude must be humility toward others. If you, God is a Opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you set yourself up to be arrogant and prideful, then God, you, you bring yourself in opposition. God is opposed to you. And he does not give grace except to the humble. Secondly, he reminds us that our attitude should be a bold resistance to evil. There is an evil spirit working in this world, and we, are, we, are, we, have, we do not labor, we do not, we do not do battle with flesh and blood, but with spirits and principalities. Listen, this whole thing that's happening in our world, I'm telling you, you can think of all the conspiracy issues you want to, and you can think about all of that stuff and, 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 and blame it on politics, but I'm telling you, we are being tested and we need to stand up and trust God and resist the evil one in these difficult days. And then the third thing that we must do is trust in a sovereign God who's in control. These three attitudes are essential. And Peter, we're going to unpack it together. He begins with humility. First of all, he begins with humility on the part of those who lead and then he talks about humility on the part of those who are being led. So he begins with the preachers first. He begins with the elders, the leaders. Who are these? Notice in chapter 5, verse 1, I exhort the elders. The word elder here means is the word presbyteros, right? Sounds like a word we know, presbyterian. What does that mean? Elders. It's the elders of the church, the presbyteros. These are the pastors. What do these pastors do? They are caring for the flock of God. Verse number two, to shepherd the flock of God. That's the word for pastor. They are to pastor God's flock. So they're presbyteros. The other word that is used here, he says, over which the Holy Spirit has, over which the Lord has made you overseers. 
The word for overseer is the word episkopos. Sounds like a word we know, right? Episcopalian. It means to watch over. It is those who are watching over the church of God. So he begins first with these elders, these pastors, these leaders among the church. Now, what's his instruction to these elders? So notice the first four verses as he deals with it. In verse number two, he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. He said, shepherd faithfully. Faithfully shepherd God's people. I think first thing you need to understand and I need to understand is that this church and all churches are they, the church is the church of Jesus Christ. It's his flock. It's not a pastor's flock. It's his flock. It's not a denomination's flock. It's his flock. It's not a deacon board's flock. It's his flock. It's the flock of God among you. It's not yours. This ministry is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your success or my success. It's not about numbers or how many people come. It's not about your self-esteem, and it's not about your needs. It's about caring for God's people. I heard a muffled masked amen in there somewhere. Ezekiel chapter number 34, if you have your Bible. Ezekiel chapter number 34. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, and prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat, clothe yourselves with wool, slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you've not strengthened. The disease, you've not healed. The broken, you've not bound up. The scattered, you've not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, for the lost, but with force and with severity, you've dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered all through all the mountains and on every high hill. And my flock was scattered over the face of the earth. And there was no one to search or to seek for them. What a sad indictment. He said, nobody cares for my people. Notice the priorities that ought to be for a shepherd. First of all, the first priority of any good shepherd is to feed the sheep. Instead, they said, you made yourself fat feeding yourselves. You haven't fed the sheep. The number one responsibility of a pastor that he ought to open up the Word of God and preach from it and teach the Word of God. Amen? And feed them. Not only feed them, he needs to tenderly care for them. Verse number four, he says, they're sickly, but you've not strengthened them. They're diseased, but you've not healed them. 
They're broken, but you've not bound them. They're scattered, but you've not sought them. The responsibility of shepherds is to feed the sheep. They're also to tenderly care for the sheep. But the other thing that shepherds are to do is to protect the sheep. Paul warns the leaders, the elders at Ephesus, whenever he, in, in Acts chapter 19, he says, after I leave, savage wolves will try to come in and destroy the sheep. False prophets, false teachers. And you're to protect God's sheep. Jesus said the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Not a hireling. This is what hirelings do. When trouble arrives, hirelings leave because they're just hourly employees. But not a good shepherd. A shepherd cares and lays down his life for a sheep. Good shepherds protect their sheep. Amen? Amen. Listen, Moses was a shepherd. God called up a shepherd to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. When God needed a king, he found a king who was a shepherd boy that had a heart like God's heart. But that shepherd boy knew about shepherding because he wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. And when God sent a Savior for us, it was Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. And when he comes again, he's the chief shepherd. And all of us that serve in ministry, we're under shepherds. But we ought to do ministry like him. Also, shepherds search. They search and they restore and they seek and they find. The example of shepherding is found in the Lord's ministry to us. In Ezekiel, again, chapter 34, beginning with verse number 11, notice how beautiful Ezekiel and 1 Peter 5 come together. Notice in verse number 11, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will shepherd my sheep and seek them out. He said, There's no, The elders have not shepherded my flock of Israel, so this is what I will do. I'll do it myself. Verse number 12, as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and deliver them from all the places to which they are scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and the inhabited places of the land. And I will feed them good pasture. And their grazing ground would be on the mountain heights of Israel. And they'll lie down on good grazing ground and feed on rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest. And I will seek the lost and bring back the scattered and bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I'll destroy. And I'll feed them. With judgment. Wow. He said, this is what I do. This is how I act as a shepherd. I search. I love. I care. I heal. I gather. I feed. And I lead. That's the kind of ministry our church is called to. The qualification for Peter to be a shepherd, he never forgot. And on the seashore of the lake of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus questions Peter. After the resurrection, after they bring in that haul of fish and bring it to shore, 
And the Lord reveals himself to Peter and the disciples by making them breakfast on the seashore. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? He said, Lord, I love you. He said, tend my lambs. Simon, he asked him a third time. He's grieved that he asked him three times. Simon, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything about me. Lord, I love you. He said, then take care of my sheep. Do you love the Lord? Then take care of his sheep. Now listen to what he says. He says, this is the way you're to shepherd them. He says, exercising oversight, watch over them, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Do it willingly, wholeheartedly. Not because you, Listen, if you're in ministry because grandma wanted you to be, you're not going to last. Do it eagerly, joyfully, passionately. If your motivation to be in ministry is to make yourself wealthy, you've got something desperately wrong inside of you. Last night late, I was flipping through the TV stations. I came upon a guy who pastor of a church in Ohio, big church, charismatic. And he was shearing the sheep on TV. Not with physical shears. But he was shearing sheep, manipulating sheep, manipulating people with cancer and sickness. And say, if you send your seed money to me, and maybe you're going through a bankruptcy, take everything you got and just send it to me, and then God will provide for you. You know what? He's a liar. And he's a sheep shearer. I flipped over to another station, there's another preacher. And they're having a telethon. And they're doing the same despicable things. Except this time they're selling products that are way overpriced. Selling Bibles for $500. Shearing sheep. Flipped over to another channel, and there's a Baptist doing something very similar. I thought, God in heaven, help us. He said, don't be in it for money. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, said, listen, I'd like to get this DVD in your hands with the gospel, and for just a gift of 50 bucks, I'll get it to you. 
That is baloney, my friends. It's wrong. It's sin. I'm so sick and tired. I'm so sick and tired of celebrity Christianity. It doesn't line up with the gospel. He said, prove yourselves to be examples to the sheep. He says, be an example. Proving yourself, verse number three, as examples to the flock. Did you know God called he, God didn't call you to be a cowboy and drive sheep. He called you to be a shepherd and lead sheep. Amen? Well, I've gone to Medellin, haven't I? Then he says, you are to shepherd not only faithfully, second thing, expectantly. In verse number four, listen to what he says. And when the chief shepherd appears... You'll, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You take care of my sheep, I'll take care of you. That's what he said. When he appears, did you go? How many of y'all believe Jesus Christ is coming again? He is coming again. And when Christ comes again, it will be glorious. But let me listen to me. But when he comes again, there will be an evaluation. And a judgment of every man's work. Christ is coming again. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 11. Since all these things are to be dissolved, this world burned up and a new world ushered in at the coming of Christ. What sort of people ought you to be but, in, but living lives of holiness and godliness? When the chief shepherd appears, he will give you the unfading crown of glory. The word crown there is the word Stephanos. Stephen, if that's your name, means crown. And so you receive this wreath, this, in Olympic games or competition, the winner would be given a wreath, and then that wreath would be placed upon its head, and then that winner would be paraded before the people, and they would celebrate this victor who had the crown because he had won a victory. But those crowns would fade as the foliage would die. But he said, when the chief shepherd appears and those who've been faithful, you'll receive a crown that will never, ever fade away. And it will exist for the glory of God for all of eternity. Isn't that awesome? Amen. So how do we shepherd? The question is, who is your flock? Now, I know you're thinking, well, this part of the message, I can tune out. This is all for the preachers. Go get them, Pastor. But God's given you a flock. Your children. You're going to answer to God about how you've shepherded your children. Your grandchildren, your community group that you're a part of, are you helping to shepherd the people in your community group? If you're a teacher of a children's Sunday school class, how are you shepherding that flock that God has entrusted to you? If you're a deacon in this church, how, how are your families doing? Are you checking on them? Are you praying for them? Are you visiting them? Are you shepherding God's people? 
Have you identified strays? Are you looking for them? We had a deacon's meeting last week. We were talking about strays and how many people are absentee, MIA. Where are they? How are they doing? What's going on in their lives? How can we pray for them? And, and, and Brother Greg, we talked about dividing up our church family and calling and making contact with everybody on the role of our church and checking how they're doing. I can't do all of this. My, I need others help me. Let's shepherd God's flock well during these days. We can all sit around and gripe and complain about COVID or whatever. Listen, take care of my sheep today. Today. And when you take care of God's people well, he'll take care of you. Let me tell you something. Shepherds prove themselves in the hard times. Shepherds prove themselves in the storms of life. Shepherds prove themselves in the conflict. Shepherds prove themselves when there are enemies. Shepherds prove themselves in the fight. Shepherds prove themselves in the battle for souls. Shepherds prove themselves in the battle with a culture. Shepherds prove themselves in hardship and in crisis. Shepherds aren't just about getting up and putting on a show and preaching a sermon on Sunday. It's about caring for God's people. Amen? Now let's move to the next part of a message that Peter gives us, and that's to the congregation itself. In verse number 5, he says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He addresses the congregation now. The first thing that he says to you is humble humble yourself personally. You need to humble yourself and live humbly. And so you need to live with humility. He says, be humble. First of all, the first way you do that is subject yourself to discipleship and learning in the life of a church. Verse number five, younger men... This is not talking about young adults necessarily. What he's talking about is their elders, pastors, and leaders, their teachers in the church, and you need to make sure that you subject yourself and put yourself under their authority, under their tutelage, under their teaching, so that you might grow in your personal walk with God. Position yourself to learn. An essential to maturity is an humble spirit and learning to understand the Word of God and apply God's Word in your life. Now listen to me. You can't learn and you can't grow and you can't grow up into maturity in Christ if you're MIA, absentee, and not submitting to the teaching in community groups or a local church. Well, when this COVID's over, I'll do it. Or I just don't like Zoom. I don't care what you like or don't like. Get underneath the teaching of God's Word. Amen? Come on. This is important. We're talking about what's essential and not essential in our culture. I'll tell you what's essential. More important than restaurants being open is getting under the Word of God. Amen? Come on, it's time for us as church to wake up. Secondly, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. 
I love this. He says, cinch up the robe of humility, wear the garment of humility with one another. Did you know what? You weren't put on this world to be served, but to serve. He said, the Son of Man did not even come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. John's Gospel, chapter number 13, we see Jesus clothed in humility. Those disciples are in that upper room. There's no slave or servant to wash the disciples' feet. You can't sit down to a meal in that culture without, first of all, washing yourself, anointing your head with oil, and having your feet washed. To go and sit around a table where everybody reclines at the table with dirty feet was anathema. So a servant, a lowliest of the lowly, would have to go and wash everybody's feet. But they wouldn't do it because they're so filled with pride. But Jesus rises from dinner. What does he do? Lays aside his garments. What does he do? He girds himself with a towel. What does he do? He takes up a bowl and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Peter tries to object, but Jesus said, no, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Peter said, well, wash me all over. He said, you don't need washed all over, but your feet are dirty. When he got done, he said, you know what I've done? You call me Lord and Master, and so I am. But if I, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus said, my kingdom's different than the kingdoms of this world. The greatest in my kingdom is the least and the slave of all. Wow. Paul said, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped or clutched, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave and being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God hath highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That's Jesus. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Start to serve other people. Thirdly, be humble before God. Humble yourself before God. Notice what Peter says in verse number 6. He says, humble yourselves where, how? Under the what? Mighty, what? Hand of whom? God. That he may what? Exalt you. Lift you up. Amen. Humble yourself before God. And he will lift you up. Cast your anxiety on him. He cares for you. Put yourself in a position of trusting God. He will lift you up. Now I want to ask you some questions. Can you trust him? How many of y'all think you can trust God to take care of you? Will you put yourself in a position as a slave and serve other people? Will you put yourself under the mighty hand of God? Are you actively obeying God today? Are you actively serving him today? Listen, my friends, listen closely. I got a word for us tonight. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of love and power and a sound mind. Second, the next thing that we need to do is pray fervently. Notice in verse number 7, casting all of your anxiety. Now, we have anxiety. We have fears. We do. But cast it. The word casting here is the word ekbalo. It, is, it means to cast, to throw out there. To, it's the word that you would use of taking a, a rug and throwing it on a donkey before you put a saddle on it. Cast it on top of him. And so cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. So take your worries, take your anxieties, take your fears, that, take all the things that you've read on the internet and worried about and cast it on him because he cares for you. He takes care of you. And then be sober, verse number 7 and 8. Verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? For the purpose of prayer. Notice what he says in chapter 4, verse 7. Be of sound judgment, sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer. So we're to pray fervently. Prioritize prayer in your life. Prioritize two, the twin things that you need to do that will help with your anxiety level is number one, start praying. And number two, start witnessing and sharing the gospel with those who are lost. Amen? Folks, it's time for us to lower the drama and trust in God. Now, you know this verse by heart. Many of you do. Some of you have it memorized. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your what? Heart and your what? Mind in Christ Jesus. Woo! John 14, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But don't you be afraid. I have overcome the world. Can you cast your burdens on him? Now listen, don't live in the what-ifs imagination of your life. Well, what if, but, but what if, but what if somebody's got COVID? But what if this, and, but what if Biden gets elected? But what if, and we're all just scared to death, what ifs? What if Trump gets reelected? What, what if? What if they overthrow this election? What if? You live in fear, anxiety. Stop. Stop it. Don't live in the drama of a gossip world. And if Facebook revs you up, get off of it for all Pete's sake. Man, come on. And, you know, I think one thing that's important to listen to me today, listen, I'm, I'm preaching now. Listen. Don't live by the exaggerated fears of unbelievers. Don't live by the exaggerated fears of unbelievers. 
How are you different than them? If you go around living like that. The next point is he says, then stand securely. Stand securely. Verse number 8 and 9 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You stand securely. Resist the adversary. Listen, yes, we have an adversary. Are you scared of him? Who's tougher, God or adversary? Well, amen. I'm glad you believe that. Otherwise, we'd have to do a witnessing session right here. (laughs) Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. What is he saying? Draw near to God. Repent of your sin and stand in your faith. And dress for success. Put on the full armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And put on the full armor of God. And stand firm. And when you've done everything, stand firm. Gird yourself with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And shod your feet with the gospel of peace. And lift up the shield of faith. And put on the helmet of salvation. And grab the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And live as overcoming believers and stand firm. Amen. How many of y'all believe Christ can hold you? Would we have to vote on it? How many of y'all believe Christ can hold you? Andrew, I like this song. I think we need to sing it. They took an old hymn, the Gettys did, rewrote it. It's been done by a bunch of people. It says, he will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. Now listen to this verse. Now listen. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Amen. These he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Listen to the last verse. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes 
at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Will you trust Him completely? Will you trust in Him completely? And that's the last part of our message. Trust in Him. Notice what Peter has to say about that in verse number 10. After you suffered a little while, by the way, he is carrying out his work. Notice you're not alone in the struggle. He says in verse number 9, other people are going through struggle. You're not only one. Secondly, understand it's God's timetable, not yours. After you've suffered for a little while, he's in charge of the timetable, not you. That's above your pay grade. Thanks, God. Notice this. He's the one that called you. Verse number 10. The one that called you will bring it to perfection. In verse number 10, he will complete his work. And when he is finished, he will perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. And in verse number 12, he said, what I've written to you, this is the true grace of God. You can trust him. Stand firm in it. Amen. Something very interesting, this book closes and he gives a couple of things to say to them. Verse 13, he says, she who's in Babylon, who is she? Is this a woman? Who's in Babylon? I thought you said he wrote from Rome. Rome was another term. Babylon was sometimes a term used for Rome because Babylon the Great in the Babylonian Empire, Babylon was a worldwide superpower. Now Rome is the worldwide superpower filled with nothing but paganism, only a handful of Christians. And he said, but in a worldwide superpower that's filled with paganism and lostness, she brings you greetings. Who is she? The beautiful bride of Jesus Christ. And we're suffering even in Babylon. We're suffering even in Rome. But the church is strong and she is healthy. And she brings you greetings, suffering saints. Isn't that good? And then he says, and John Mark's with me. My son, you heard about John, how he failed. And maybe you heard how he got scared and left and went back home to mama. And maybe you heard how John Mark had a big, big failure in, your life, in his life. But understand this, John Mark's with me in Rome. And John Mark sends his greeting to you. And John Mark is my son. And he's living for God. You may feel like you've failed in your past before. But he can take your failures and do something great with you in your life. And that's what he said. He is my son. By the way, almost all scholars believe that the gospel according to Mark was the gospel that Peter told his son, John Mark. And John Mark recorded it and gave us the gospel according to Mark. And it's Peter's version of what Jesus did. And Matthew and Luke take John Mark and build their Gospels. Because Mark 
was the first one written. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. Hey, you going through a suffering and hardship? He will hold you fast. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's true. It's liberating. And Father, I pray that tonight our hearts have been encouraged and strengthened through your word. Oh, Father, have your way in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.